Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Great to be with you this morning. We are continuing in our series through the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 1, verse 26, and we will pick up there in a moment. If you are reading your Bible in a year, by now you are halfway through the book of Joshua. Uh, And yet, here we are in Genesis chapter 1. And the reason that we are taking our time through these first two chapters is that we believe they really set the stage uh, for everything that follows. It's in the first two chapters that we see uh, what God's intention was for humanity. And so we are spending extra time here in in a... Uh, attempt to sort of recalibrate and reorient ourselves around the original human purpose. So if you uh, have been with us for the last five weeks, uh, we've examined the fact that humans are uh, made in God's image, made to rule and reign, made to continue God's creative work in the world, and made to rest as well. All of that we got from chapter 1. But we're not done with chapters 1 and 2. Here's where we're headed. Uh, Adam and Eve were uh, made male and female, called to fill the earth, and called to work it and care for it. So uh, that's where we're headed over the course of the next few weeks leading up to Christmas. And we are uh, starting this morning with male and female. Uh, We pick up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And we have been asking questions ever since. Why did God make us male and female? Why mention it explicitly in the text? God created every type of animal, and he created all of them male and female. So why only mention it here? Why did God make us in two genders? How should we think about gender? How should the two genders relate to one another? Are they fundamentally different or are they the same? Uh, And if they're different, are they equal? Uh, What was God's intent from the beginning? 
Those are the questions we'll wrestle with this morning. And while our focus will be the text of Genesis itself, I recognize that as we approach the topic of gender, that there is all sorts of controversy and tension inside and outside of the church. Outside of the church, uh, there's a big cultural push right now to almost erase gender or, or to make too little of it. Uh, gender is now being presented as a construct. It's just an idea that we created. It's something that is uh, fluid, easily changeable, inconsequential, uh, almost meaningless. And yet, inside the church, many of us have felt the tension go the opposite direction. And sometimes it feels as if too much can be made of gender. When gender becomes more important than gifting, calling, or ability. But what does Genesis say, and how should it shape our thinking? We see in chapter 1 that God made us male and female, but are there any other clues in the text as to how we should relate? Uh, we will pick up again in Genesis 2 verse 15. For most of you, that's just a jump down the page. By the time we get to verse 15 of chapter 2, God has already created Adam uh, from dust and divine breath. And uh, next, we read about the creation of Eve. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock and the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. More on that next week. Now, here are some of the basic takeaways that some people will draw from the text. Adam was created first and then Eve Eve was created as a suitable helper for Adam. Eve was created from Adam's rib. And as you get further into chapter 3, we see that Eve was the first to be deceived by the serpent and to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all too often, what happens is that people will make these observations and they get melded together to form a worldview that says, in effect, 
Men were first. Men are superior. Uh, women were made to serve as inferiors. And women are more easily deceived and not to be trusted. In fact, here is one of the questions that we received about Genesis. Hey, so I was reading in Genesis this morning and have a question about the choice to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So quick backgrounds. I grew up in a very conservative church who put women beneath men. And one of the areas is in the, is in the wisdom that women bring in the sense that women's wisdom can't be trusted because she was the first to choose to eat the fruit. And because she wasn't following and she took the lead, that's why this all happens. So does this mean that women tend to be less wise than men? And should we be careful when it comes to leadership? Then when God brings his judgment and says, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. I want help and wisdom on how to not live this out in my own marriage. And then how does this affect us today, if that makes sense? These may be elementary questions, I realize, but I've been on a personal journey of healing the wounds I have because I am a woman, and that was deemed bad to me at a young age through my father and family, and then I felt it through the church that, that I grew up in as well. And I want the freedom to live out my life as a godly woman who is in full confidence of who she is and loves, serves, and honors well without feeling beneath or less than uh, to men. P.S. I don't feel, I don't desire to feel superior either. I don't want a man's role just trying to find out God's true heart and purpose for me as a woman. Sorry for the long text. <laughs> to which I would say, don't worry about the long text. Uh, and I am so sorry that that was your experience. That that's what was communicated to you. That women are somehow beneath men. That women don't have wisdom like men do. And that in essence, women are bad. Is that really what Genesis is communicating? Let's start by bringing those assumptions back to the text to see if any of it holds water. In the opening chapters of Scripture, uh, God repeats a phrase over and over again, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is very good. It isn't until chapter 2 that God finally says of something, it is not good. What is not good? For the man to be alone. The man by himself is not deemed awesome or superior. It's actually not good. Something is missing. He cannot accomplish his purpose alone. This picture is incomplete. And so God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. A suitable helper. Well, that's interesting language. Uh, when I read through that in a modern English translation, I basically assume that Adam needed a secretary. That's what that means in our modern minds. But is that what God intended? Uh, the word for helper is 
Etzer in Hebrew. And Etzer was not a secretary or a servant, but rather it referred to help, support, aid, or protection. Oftentimes it was used to refer to reinforcements in a war or an ally who comes to the rescue. And when you read through the biblical uses of Etzer, what you find is that uh, not only does it refer to an ally or a reinforcer, but more often than not, the word is actually used to describe God. God is my Etzer. The Holy Spirit is my Etzer, my lifeline, my support, my helper, my ally, my reinforcement. God surrounds me and protects me. He saves my life from disaster. How interesting that this word is used to describe Eve. I will make an Etzer that will make the difference between victory and defeat. The image we get in Genesis is not of an awesome and complete man who just needs a secretary or a superstar who just needs someone to tell him how awesome he is. No, the picture we get is actually one of incompleteness, a man in need of reinforcement if he is to survive. Without an ally, he will not succeed. Without an etzer, he cannot accomplish what God is asking of humanity. He cannot fully bear God's image on his own. He cannot make more human beings on his own. He will fail in work, rest, and warfare. He needs her. And so Adam is put into a deep sleep and we're told that God takes one of his ribs to form Eve. The only problem is that in Hebrew, it doesn't say rib, it says selah. And selah actually shows up all over the scriptures, cover to cover. Never once is it translated rib. In fact, in every single instance outside of this one, it's translated as side. So, if you're reading through as a Hebrew man, you're not thinking about a rib and, and surgery. You're visualizing Eve being drawn out of Adam's side. Not his head as his superior, and not his foot as his inferior, but from his side as his ontological equal. In the ancient Near East, every culture had its own creation accounts, and the Hebrews would have been familiar with the creation accounts of the cultures around them. And it was not uncommon in the neighboring accounts uh, for women to be typecast as slaves or as mistakes that the gods in the beginning were trying to form man and they messed up 
and got woman and then tried again and got it right. Or woman was created later as literally as a slave to the man. And that drastically affected the role that women played in those cultures and the way that they were treated. But then you pick up the book of Genesis and it says it is not good for the man to be alone. Humanity is incomplete in one gender. He cannot fully uh, embody and reflect God's image. He will fail in work, rest, and subduing chaos. He needs reinforcement. He needs her. And who is this her? Well, Eve is not superior to Adam, nor inferior to him, but she is to relate to him in the way that God does. To support, rescue, encourage, enhance what Adam has been tasked with in the way that the Holy Spirit does. She is his ally. Not a slave, not a mistake, but an ontological equal taken from his side and tasked with leading the creation project forward with Adam. She was formed with the greatest of intention. Which is why, after she's fully formed and brought to Adam, he breaks out in song. He says, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh is a Hebrew way of saying she is just like me but beautifully different at the same time we are of the same essence she was drawn from my side as an ontological equal so Eve is drawn from Adam's side and then they are brought back together again she joins alongside him as an ally and now they stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder, taking the creation project forward together. Both equally bearing God's image, both called to work and rest, both called with multiplying and filling the earth, and expanding the borders of this temple-like garden until it grew and stretched and one day would cover the entire earth. As they stand, side by side, as equals, taking on the world, do they have the same calling and the same tasks? For the most part, they do. What we see in the text is that both male and female are called to bear God's image to the world, that they are both called to fill the earth and subdue what is chaotic, to subdue what stands in opposition to God in his kingdom. Both are called to work, uh, bear God's image to the world, subdue chaos, multiply, and rest. So the majority of what they're tasked with uh, is identical. Does Adam have a unique call or a special tie to work? Well, in the text of Genesis, he actually does. Uh, does Eve have a unique call to uh, be Adam's ally? And, and does she have the special ability to bear and bring forth new life? Well, in the text, she does. 
And, and these unique aspects of their character actually show up in their very names. The word in Hebrew for Adam is Adam. Probably could have guessed that one. And the word for soil is Adama. So literally, Adam is drawn out of Adama. Adam will have a unique tie to the soil. In Hebrew, the word for man is Ish, and the word for woman is Isha. So Isha is drawn out of Ish and will have a unique relationship with him, to relate to him in the way that the Holy Spirit would, to be an ally reinforcing humanity's mission and birthing new life into the world along the way. This calling is wrapped up in their very names. It's part of their purpose, which is why after the rebellion of Adam and Eve, after what we call the fall, sin and death enter the world. God's good world is corrupted. And so what God does is he pulls the man and the woman and the serpent all together in his presence and he does something really curious. He curses them. Or rather, he curses their purpose. So to Adam, he says, Cursed is the ground, the Adama, because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, or the Adama, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam and Eve are both called to work. But Adam has a special tie to the ground and and to work itself. And that calling is now frustrated. Eve has this unique relationship uh, with Adam, who is her husband, and unique ability to bear and bring forth life. And those will be frustrated as well. So to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And I've heard that that's true. (laughs) Your desire, but this, this is important for our purposes this morning. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, what is that all about? Before the fall, We are created with equal value, equally bearing God's image, and we are called to essentially the same things with some elements of unique vocation along the way. Adam and Eve are different, but they're equal, and they are called to stand side by side in a supportive relationship in which they will co-rule over creation itself and subdue what stands in opposition to God. Now, sin has entered the world and the impulse of Adam and Eve is going to be to turn inward and to seek to rule not over creation side by side as God intended, but now their impulse will be to attempt to rule over one another. Now, 
In fact, this phrase, your desire will be for your husband, can actually be translated, your desire will be to rule over your husband. But he will rule or attempt to rule over you. This is not life as God intended. This is life in a fallen world. The world that we know so well. Now there are power struggles and we waste vast amounts of our time and energy attempting to rule and reign over one another. Woman will seek to rule over man and man will seek to rule over women. Now we have tension and heartache and we wrestle to subdue one another. Do you see what a departure that was from the original intense. And we'll look at the solution in just a moment, but it's worth noting that the text of Genesis itself actually gets used as ammunition in this power struggle that we now find ourselves in. That as one gender tries to subdue the other, they will end up looking to the text of Genesis to support their case. It even showed up in the question that I read earlier. Uh, the person who texted it in said, I grew up in a very conservative church who put women beneath men. And one of the areas is in the wisdom that women bring and the sense that women's wisdom can't be trusted because she was the first to choose to eat the fruit. And because she wasn't following and she took the lead, that's why this all happened. So does that mean that women tend to be less wise than men? And should we be careful when it comes to leadership? And our resounding answer is no. That's simply not what the text of Genesis is trying to convey. That's not what the fall of humanity is about. For those of you who are new to the story of the scriptures or the story of the fall, you'll, you'll um, remember that God tells Adam not to eat uh, of the, the fruit of a certain tree. Then God creates Eve and presumably, Adam tells Eve, passes on this information that, hey, the whole garden is open to us, but we are not to eat of a certain tree. This one tree represents rebellion against God, and it will bring death into the human experience. And then you have the serpent who comes into the garden and tempts Eve to eat the fruit by deceiving her as to the danger that it held. And so she takes some, and she eats it. And if you go back and read the account of the fall, Eve was the first to eat the fruit. But here's my question. Where was Adam? Where was he when all of this is happening? It says in the text, says he was right there beside her. So imagine that in your mind, if you can. Eve presumably hears about the danger of this tree from Adam. And then the serpent comes to challenge what she heard. Hey, did God really say that? Hmm. Well, I, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Adam, what do you think? Silence. 
You won't certainly die. You must have misunderstood. This tree is an awesome tree. Huh. Well, well, maybe. Maybe it is. Adam, what do you think? Silence. What is Adam doing in all of this? He's just sitting there, watching, listening, wondering. I mean, either Adam is equally deceived by the serpent, or in the alternative, he knows full well that it's not true, but he rebels anyway. And I don't know which one is worse. Uh, to be tricked by someone who is really crafty or to willfully disobey what you know you're not supposed to do. I mean, no matter how you cut it, they both failed. And whatever Adam was up to in that moment, it was just as problematic. And so, by the time you get to the New Testament, it reminds us that Eve was in fact deceived, but it also says that death came through one man. That's Adam. And through the act of that one, death came to all people. Eve was deceived. Eve misunderstood the situation. What's Adam's excuse? Where was he? Uh, what was he thinking? I'm not sure. And so to read uh, this account as a claim that one gender is inherently more deceivable than the other or inherently more wise than the other is, in my opinion, a gross misreading of the text of Genesis. Because whatever Adam was up to in that moment, it wasn't good. And at the end of the day, the scriptures actually peg him as the one responsible for the fall of humanity. So, to answer the question that was sent in, uh, can we trust female wisdom? Of course we can. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, in, particularly, in particular the wisdom literature, what you see is that God's wisdom is actually personified as a person, and that person is a woman. If God's wisdom should take human form, how should we picture it in our mind? Well, the wisdom literature pictures it as a woman. The church of Jesus has always been filled with wise women who love, serve, and guide it. Etzers to the bride of Christ. And if you think men aren't vulnerable to deception, then you don't know men. In fact, when it comes to some of the common deceptions of money, sex, and power, I think young men are the most vulnerable in all the population. But you get the point. 
because we live in a fallen world where our temptation will now be to subdue and rule over one another, we will be tempted to scan the text of Genesis for clues that one gender is somehow of a greater value than the other. And honestly, I've seen the text used both ways. To say men are more valuable than women and to say women are more valuable than men. But the whole point that Genesis is making is that male and female were intended to stand side by side as allies, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, so to speak, leading the creation project forward as co-rulers and co-image bearers. Are men and women exactly the same in every way, in, in the way that we're wired, in the way that, in, in, well, well, no. Thank goodness we're not all exactly the same. On the whole, we're going to have elements of unique wiring and unique gifting and sometimes even unique calling and vocation. But the greatest mistake that we can make is to look to the pages of Scripture to justify the validation of one gender over another or, or to establish one gender over another because I think the text of Genesis is attempting to make the exact opposite point. That we need each other. That, that our differences are actually beautiful. It's actually strength. We actually get to see more of God's image in two genders than we do in one. A one-gendered humanity would be less reflective of who God is. And as a result, we need to, to reaffirm the value of two genders standing side by side and sharing all that they are. And, and I'm not talking about romance. I, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about males bringing all that they are to the table and females bringing all that they are to the table and not being embarrassed by who we are or what we're called to or any of the innate desires that God has is put in our hearts because the impulse of the culture is to attempt to erase gender completely to the point that men are, are embarrassed to be men and women can be embarrassed to be women. And that's just not the picture that we get in Scripture. So it's the exact opposite of what God is trying to affirm and establish. We're not afraid to admit the dreams and desires and, and gifting and calling and vocation that we have in our own hearts for fear that it might uh, conflict with the culture's genderless version of utopia. So we reject the cultural vision that's being pushed, that attempts to erase gender, but in the same breath, we have to recognize that we live in a fallen world in which the temptation of fallen human beings will be to elevate themselves over the other. Your desire will be to rule over others and their desire will be to rule over you. 
our tendency in a fallen world will be to highlight our differences, not as strength, not as beauty, not as bearing more of God's image, but to highlight our differences as a means of establishing our own superiority. That's the brokenness in us. We are tempted to praise what God is doing uniquely in our gender as a means of putting down what he might be doing in the other. But the invitation of scripture is to see both genders as fully reflective of God's image, as complementary allies who are invited to bring their unique gifts, talents, skills, abilities, passions, everything that they are under the kingship of Jesus and to unearth what God has given them in service to the kingdom. And God's desire is that both genders would once again stand side by side, not as adversaries attempting to impose their will on the other, not as genderless, muted, undifferentiated individuals, but as people who embrace who they are, who see the way that God has wired them, seeing gender differences not as weakness, but as beauty and as strength. People who come together and say, we are not willing to mute either voice. We, we need both of them to come through as clearly as they can. When I read the text of Genesis, I am reminded that God's image is better reflected in two genders than one. And that if you suffocate masculinity or if you suffocate femininity, if you mute either voice, we will actually get less of God and not more. And thus... The ultimate call is not to elevate male at the cost of female. And it's not to elevate female at the cost of male. But the text of Genesis calls both genders to step forward at the same time. For both of them to bring all that they are in an unashamed, unembarrassed way and to share that with the church and with the world, to lead the creation project forward once more as co-rulers and allies. You have something unique to bring. I don't care who you are. I don't care about your backgrounds. I don't care about your gender. You have something unique to bring. You have gifts, talents, passions, and abilities that need to be unleashed for the sake of the kingdom. And your gender does not detract from any of those things. In fact, it will only enhance them. God did not make a mistake when he wired you the way that he did. I don't care what gender you are. You are capable, you are equipped, you are qualified, and you are called to join with God and his creative work in the world. In all of your insecurity, in all of your imperfection, in all of your woundedness, whether it came from a church or whether it came from the culture. I don't care what specifically you're called to or gifted for, but your gender is only going to sweeten and enhance what he is calling you to do. If you stand embarrassed of your gender or the way that God has wired you, then the church will never come alive 
in the way that God has intended. It will never flourish as it was supposed to. Not until both genders take hold of that truth. So that's what we're going to do as we close. Um, You can go ahead and, and close your Bibles and set them aside and I'll actually ask that you stand with me as we um, get ready to head into communion. But before we do, uh, I just have a passage of of Scripture that I want to read over us. And I want to take a second uh, to just pause and pray and and breathe. And I, I got the sense as I was preparing this teaching Uh, that a lot of you really need to hear from God on this issue. Because I can stand up here and explain the text of Genesis and and explain what I see as a compelling vision for both genders expressing all of who they are, bringing all of their, their passions, gifts, talents, and abilities. But in all honesty, I cannot speak into your situation. Because in this room, we have way too much baggage and way too many different situations and, and way too much broken. It would take me hours to speak into each one of your individual cases in, until both genders were fully ready to take hold of what God has for them. Uh, and, and so what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to just read this passage and then we're just going to pause and take a deep breath and just invite God to speak. Um, just invite him to just in his own soft, quiet whisper to place upon your heart the thing that you need to hear this morning. Because I think there's a real empowering that needs to happen, particularly of our ladies. Uh, The lady who texted in that question, I promise you is not the only one who's had that experience, is not the only one who feels that way. And if this church is to come alive, we have to see an empowering of both genders. We have to hear both voices as clearly as we can. So I'm going to read this passage and then, uh, and then we'll pray. This is Romans 12. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to see and test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgments, with accuracy, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And we could add so many things to that list, gifts within the body. But I want you to remember, there is not one mention of gender in this passage. There's mention of diversity. There's mention of unity. And the scriptures reaffirm that every single one of you 
is gifted by God. And every single one of you should be coming alive in your gifting. Is it prophet, prophesy? Is it teaching? The te- whatever it is. And so for some of you this morning, maybe God would, would want to whisper to you about your gifting and what it looks like to hear both genders empowered and active in his church. It's the only way we're going to flourish. Let's pray. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you now. We open up our hearts. We open up our hands. And we invite you, you're already here, God, but we invite you to fill us right now and we invite you to speak. And as we look through the pages of Scripture, we see that you yell at your enemies, but you whisper to your friends. And, and we've been made friends of God by the cross. And so would you come into this place, God, and would you whisper to your children, the ones adopted in by the blood of Jesus, would you whisper to us about who we are, about what you've gifted us with, about what it looks like to be a church that's fully alive. God, would you whisper to each person what they need to hear this morning on this topic. We wait for you now, Jesus. 